Welcome to the Arise Church podcast, where we exist so that way you can experience God. If you like this content, would you consider subscribing and joining our online community? That way you can get notified on each week's messages. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. That's good. Well, my name is Ken. I get the privilege of being the executive pastor here at Arise. And I'm excited to be able to bring the word this morning and to continue to experience God with you. But first thing we want to do is we want to celebrate. Uh, because I know that last week, Pastor Brent talked to, um, uh, mentioned from the stage that our teenagers were getting ready to go to a conference. And this last weekend, starting Friday and then Saturday, our youth department was able to take 40 teenagers to our fall conference. There's a picture there. Yeah. And man, they were so touched by God. Many of them went down to the altar and just uh, were touched by God's presence. And four of them made a decision to follow Jesus over the weekend. Isn't that incredible? Amen. And uh, God is moving. God is moving through our church, through our teenagers, and it's so exciting. I also want to give you an update, let you know some things that are coming. Uh, We have a... um, we have something around here called legacy. And if you're unfamiliar with what legacy is, but you're familiar with the church world, this, world, or this word may be more familiar to you, missions giving. And so legacy is the way that we give to missions. And we have a lot of projects that we do through legacy, uh, like Elsa's House of Hope, which is an orphanage in Nepal where we, we own and operate it and we run it. And every month we have, we have 15 girls that we have pulled off the streets in Nepal and they have a place to live. Four of them are in college right now because of your giving they're able to have a future and a hope Uh, ministries like breaking chains ministry which is in the red light district in Belgium where they're able to minister to to women who are being trafficked in that red light district Um, and and your giving helps support that ministry where they're able to go in there and minister to those ladies and give them hope Uh, and our rise network uh, where we're we have 12 India pastors over in India, in in the uh, province over there, and they have about 25 churches, locations between them, and each one of them is between, let's say, five and 40 people that they minister to on a weekly basis, and because of your giving, that those churches are able to go and to function, and and we're doing a legacy, a special legacy offering that we do every year on December 4th, and it's called the One Day to Change the World Offering, and here's the idea behind this. What if we were all to come together and we were to say, how can we all make a difference together and take up an offering together so that we can do something big? Because each one of us individually may not be able to do something huge, but all of us together can. And so the idea behind it is if we all give one day's wage, then we could change the world. Now, for some of you, you hear that idea, and that may seem like a bit much to you. A a day's wage, man, I don't know. And for some of you, you hear a day's wage, and you're like, oh, I can do that, and I can do more. And here's what we want to encourage you to do. Because it's coming up in two weeks, we want to just invite you to start praying about it and asking God what he would have you to do, and then partnering with us. The idea is if we all work together and come together and everybody does something, that God can take our unity more than he can even take our money and he can make a huge difference in in projects here and around the world. Now last year during this time, we were able to give a bunch of money, thousands of dollars away that day to make an impact in our community and we're hoping to be able to do the exact same thing here uh, on December 4th. So I wanna encourage you to be praying about that because it's coming. Also, on your way in, you should have received a document because Pastor Brent has put together a trip to go to Israel coming up this next year, March 6th through the 15th, and uh, we wanted to highlight all those details for you. It's gonna be an absolutely incredible trip. If you've ever wanted to walk where Jesus walked to visit some of those places like Golgotha or uh, perhaps the the tomb, the empty tomb, or maybe even the place where Jesus, uh, they say Jesus was born, then you have an opportunity to go and visit those sites along with Pastor Brent coming up in March. Uh, All the details are right there, including the cost and the date uh, for that trip and the date for all the deposits due. So I wanna encourage you to check that out. You can sign up on the Church Center app and you'll be hearing more about that. All right, so we are in the middle of a series called Fruition. 
where we are talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And I get to do week three for us. And I'm gonna start off with a really, uh, with a question, all right? And, and are, are y'all ready for this question? Yeah. Are y'all sure? Because nine o'clock was not awake enough for this question. All right, so here we go. Are you a good person? I hear some no's right in here. I hear some amens. I'm not sure what the amen means. Maybe that's just what, what they think I want them to say. Are you a good person? And some of you are probably thinking, oh goodness, Pastor Ken, you gotta ask a question like that. It's a Sunday, come on now, be easy on my brain, right? Well, it begs a follow-up question. How do we judge whether or not somebody's a good person? How do we determine if someone's good? Or let me ask this. Why do you think you're good? Or if you don't, why do you think you're not? You know, how do we define this idea of good? Good can be really kind of ambiguous, and we use the word good for so many things, right? I mean, some of you will walk out today and you will say, good message, Pastor Ken. (laughs) What does that mean? I mean, the same people will walk out after watching Justice League and go, that was a good movie. (laughs) Some of you are shaking your head going, no, that was not good. Yeah, I know, that's what that means. And some of us will still use the exact same word to go, yeah, he's a good God. And, and we use it for all these different ways. And here's what I want to propose to you. Goodness is demonstrated by the way that God treats you and me. Goodness is demonstrated by the way that God treats you and me. But I can't stop there because goodness is also or should be demonstrated by the way that we treat others. So we're reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. And uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Brent talked about love. And, you know, this verse starts off, they're going to put it up there, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And Pastor Brent talked about love. And last week, he talked about joy and peace. And this week, we get to talk about forbearance. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I can get on board with forbearance. What does that mean again, right? Here's the thing, patience. Oh, come on, Pastor Ken, y'all gonna talk about that this morning? Well, forbearance, kindness, goodness. And we're gonna tackle those three this morning. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so I want to bring you a three-point philosophical argument this morning on how we should treat one another based on the idea of good. Y'all ready? Put your thinking caps on. Here we go. Because point number one, God's character is good. God's character is good. See, it talks about this in Psalm 119.68. You are good and what you do is is good, God's character is good. The Lord is good is a constant thing found in the Bible. The Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. And goodness is found in the very nature of who God is. We see this demonstrated in creation. God created and then he said, "Mm." he looked at it and said, that is good. Well, why was it good? because he created out of his mind, which came out of the very nature of God, and so because he created out of himself, he could then declare what he created to be good. This is why, it's just a a side note, it's so important for us to have our minds renewed because you and I create out of our minds as well. And if we want what we create to be good, then we have to have our minds renewed, right? Because we create in the very same way. But this is why we can be in awe, I'm sorry, in awe of a sunset. Some of you will sit and stare at a sunset for 45 minutes. I'm like, how long does that sun need to set? (laughs) 
Now me, that is not my, that is not my idea. My wife loves sunsets. She'll go, we'll go sit at the beach and I'm sitting there going, I love being with her, but how long can I stare at a pink sky? <laughs> the thing's pink. The sun's gone. It's good color. Okay? For me, put me in a place where I can see the mountains. In fact, snow-capped mountains where I can see them but not be on them or in the cold. But snow-capped mountains, and man, that I can see the glory of God, the goodness of God in the mountains that I get to view. That's beautiful to me. I get to see the goodness of his creation. Some of y'all see the goodness of his creation in a sunrise. I mean, I didn't know that God was up that early, but some of y'all are, and so you see the goodness of God in that sunrise but we see the goodness of God in nature. Now understand with me that nature is not God. That's pantheism. However, just like any art displays the nature of the artist, the earth displays the nature and the glory of God. And because we can see the goodness of nature, we can see the goodness of God. Now, because we are also created and created in the image of God, we all want to be like our creator. We want to be good. But good is kind of this elusive term. It's kind of slippery. It kind of slips through our hands because they keep changing the definition of what good is. I mean, we all want it, and American anthropologists have actually said that our New Year's resolutions, as, as late as the 2020s or 2019s, the late teens, have begun to change. It's begun to change from, I want to lose weight. Now, I don't know about y'all, but my New Year's resolution is still that I want to lose weight. But for many people, it's changed from that to, I want to be a better person. Or I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better employee. I want to be a better boss. So our New Year's resolutions have changed because our minds, our eyes have changed into this idea that I want, I want to do better. I want to be good. The problem with that is it becomes very subjective. See, American psychologists have told us that if you want to do better, then you just need to step away and you need to go ahead and self-reflect. Now, let's think about this. If I, by myself, want to do better, then I need to get by myself who are not doing better, and I need to reflect on the self that's not doing better. Does that twist anybody else's mind? But that's what they tell us to do. And throughout our time, culture has created different ideas of what good is. This is most often seen through language. And it has become this slippery slope idea. Do you know that language has changed? Things that used to be a word for something bad have now become a word for something good. Things that used to be a word for something bad have become a word for something good. A bad, good, good, bad. It's confusing, like the word amaze. Do you know that in the 16th century, to amaze meant to panic or alarm? So I know that all of you were amazed by Pastor Jason's voice this morning, but I dare you to go up to him and tell him, Pastor Jason, your voice is amazing, because that means that you were panicked or alarmed by his voice. <laughs> or what about, what about the word amuse? In the 1400s to 1700s, so for 300 years, the word amuse, which we, we find to mean funny, actually meant foolish, or I'm sorry, actually meant to cheat or to deceive someone. How about the word fond? I'm fond of that. Well, in the 1300s, the word fond meant foolish or silly. How about the word awful? You say that when you say that was an awful burnt meal or something like that, right? It was awful, it was horrible. But yet, it used to mean that we were reverently profound of something. We were full of awe. In fact, they used to say that the face of God was awful. Not because it was horrible, but because when you looked at the face of God, you were full of awe. And words have begun to change, kind of like the word nice. The word nice in the 1390s meant something or someone foolish or simple. 
Now, for all those of you who think that you're funny and think you're gonna come out after service and tell me that was a nice sermon, the nine o'clock already did that for you. (laughs) I already know it was a nice sermon, so thank you very much. The word hussy as well actually used to mean just a lady of the household. Now, gentlemen, do not go home and call your wife a hussy. That will get you slapped. Why? Because words create this slippery idea of what good is that we cannot find a solid footing on because it's all based upon what we see and what we perceive, what we want. And yet, even within the context of that, I think that we can all agree that it is good to be just, right? That was four of you, come on. Is it good to be just? Is it good to be kind? Is it good to be fair? And is it bad to cheat? Okay, high school students, I know that you didn't answer there because you (laughs) want to do what you want to do on that test next week, but that's not okay. Is it, is it okay to murder? Is it okay to steal? See, generally, it's been culturally acceptable for us to base a lot of our moral and ethic on the Ten Commandments. But what happens when that begins to change? When the ground beneath us of what is good and what is not begins to shift, We have to ask ourselves this question, can you be good without God? Can you be good without God? Well, let's be real, it depends on who's judging, doesn't it? Because if I'm judging, and I'm judging myself, can I be good without God, then what do I get to judge against? Well, whatever I choose, right? Hmm. The world's standard of goodness is actually just being better than the person next to you. So, if I show up to work earlier than Pastor Johnny, then I am a better employee than Pastor Johnny, or a gooder employee, right? My wife, the English teacher, just shook her head at me. (laughs) If, If I will stay a little bit later and work a little bit harder and produce a little bit more than Pastor Johnny, then I am a better employee, I'm a good employee, right? Because I'm, I'm comparing myself to him. And so I'm declaring good based on a comparison and it becomes a subjective standard of goodness. This is why you look inside in self-reflection and try to become better. We even have songs about this. I'm starting with a man in the mirror and I'm asking him to change his ways. If you wanna make a change, but, but wait, just look at yourself and make that, hmm. Now why would looking at ourselves get us to the place where we can change for the better? And it's not an inherently horrible thing. You know, it, it, this desire to be better, it's just simply misplaced. See, the world has adopted this way of looking at things that when we look inside that we can find a way to become better, and it's even snuck into the church, but it's not inherently bad or wrong, it's just misplaced because we're not looking at the right source. Our problem is that we've left something out of the equation. It's this little three-letter word called sin. It's this idea that as a person, I am depraved. That I will lean into sin, into doing wrong, before I lean into good. Even even our best acts of humanity often have selfish motives. I mean, would, would American corporations really give as much money as they give to nonprofits if it weren't for the American tax code? I mean, what would really happen if you were in a dark room with that person who cut you off on 60 this morning and you could slap them and they couldn't do anything? I know. Some of y'all be like swinging for the fences. 
What, what would we do in the secret? Because oftentimes our behavior is motivated by our self and our selfishness. Romans chapter seven talks about this. Paul wrestles with this idea. He says, you know, the, the things that I want to do, I don't end up doing. And the things that I don't wanna do, those are the very things that I end up doing. Oh, what a wretched and sinful man I am. Why? Because my nature begins in a place that is sinful, that is wrong. Paul says, I do what I don't wanna do. Can you relate? Jesus, Jesus had a different idea of goodness than humanity did. We see this in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, when, when Jesus was approached by a man, and, and it says, now as he was going on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but the Father. See, here's the problem that happened. There was a person who recognized the good works of Jesus and recognized that he appears to be a good man. And it seems, because he's teaching about eternal life, that he has a key. And so I want to go to him to see if I can match up with him or if he will declare me good. That way I can have that eternal life. And Jesus recognizing, this is the whole problem to begin with. We're defining good by what other people say or do. We define good looking at the works of other people. And we think, if my fruit looks better than theirs, I must be good. If, if my fruit looks or tastes better than the pastor, I must be good. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only the Father is good. Because Jesus was changing the narrative and he was saying, only in the presence of God Almighty who is the source of all good, only by abiding in him can you truly find goodness. It's not in comparison to anyone else. Sometimes good behavior by God's standard is not good behavior by the world's standard. Have you ever been in that moment? Sometimes we can do the right thing by the Bible and the world says it's the wrong thing. But here's the thing, God's standard of goodness is perfection. Now I don't know about y'all, but that was a little bit disappointing for me to hear. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a little secret, something that is, I know it's gonna shock some of you. Some of you are just gonna be stunned at this and it was very discouraging for myself to discover this a, a couple of weeks ago, but um, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I know, I know, don't, don't faint, anyone, please don't faint, somebody catch her, no I'm just kidding. I discovered it long, long ago. Discovered it when I was a child because I couldn't live up to the standard then and guess what, I'm reminded even today that I can't live up to the standard now on my own. See, his standard is perfection and on my own, I don't live up to that. On my own, I'm selfish. On my own, I do things for my, myself. I, And I might even do something wrong with a good intention or do something that would be justified or called right with a bad intention. And here's the thing. Just because the standard is uncomfortable, just because the standard is embarrassing, doesn't mean I get to change the standard. See, 12 inches is 12 inches, and 12 inches is a foot, and it really doesn't matter whether you like 12 inches or agree that it should be base 12 or really want a base 10 because base 10 is easier, and why would anybody start with base 12 anyway? All the teachers are laughing. It doesn't matter that I think that. A foot is still 12 inches, and if I try to change that, then I'm gonna mess your house up. because I don't get to write the standard. I don't get to change the standard. See, true goodness does not come from ourselves, 
meaning goodness cannot come through willpower. I don't care how much will this tree puts in the idea of making fruit, it will not pop out an orange. It can think as hard as it wants. It can push as hard as it wants. It will not pop out an orange. That's not how fruit is produced. It's not produced from us that way either. See, it actually takes an act of God because true goodness is actually godliness. True goodness is found when you look like him. When you act good, it is acting in accordance with God. It is acting out of what God has made in you. See, true goodness is rooted in the very nature of God. So like creation, nature could be good. We can be and we can do good ultimately only when we have been recreated in the image of God. See, here's the thing. We want to try to push out the fruit and make the fruit look good when the reality is we've got to spend more time cultivating where our roots are and make sure that we're abiding in Christ and abiding in his presence because it's only then that we will, after due season, produce fruit when we've abided in the right thing. The tree can't make fruit happen, but you know what it can do? It can grow its roots down to the good water. It can stay in good soil, and when it does, over time it will produce fruit. See, God looked at creation and said it is good because it came from the nature of God. And when we are recreated by God in the image of God, God can look at our inner man and he can say it's good. He can say it's good. The question is, will we abide in Christ? See, this is where the fruit of the Spirit comes from. The Holy Spirit lives in us, we abide in him, and he produces goodness in us, and then that goodness can come out of us. See, it's not until true goodness is produced in us that true goodness can actually flow from us. Some of us have been wondering, why can't I produce the fruit of God in my life? Well, it may not be because we're not trying hard enough. In fact, I would tell you, you can't try hard enough to produce good. What needs to happen is we need to start abiding in what who is good, and then he will produce goodness out of us. That's how that works. So maybe it's not that you're not trying hard enough. Maybe it's that we're abiding in the wrong place. Maybe it's because we're abiding on CNN too much or on TikTok or on Snapchat or on wherever has our attention. Luke 6, 45 talks about this, says a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What's our heart full of? So we've said the character of God is good. His character is good. That was my first point in the philosophical argument. The second idea is that because God's character is good, therefore the way that God deals with us is good. If God's character is good, then out of him and in the way that he deals with us, it will be good. So I want you to think about this. Has God been good to you? Think of the way that he's loved you in the way that he's loved you? Have there been the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Has it, has it been there? Specifically today, we wanna to mention his kindness and his patience. Has God been patient with you? Oh, Pastor Ken, here you go in Madeline again. I don't know about y'all, but there have been moments where God has spoken to me. You know, it's, it's this idea where God, uh, you, know, you stand in minding your own business. And I, I'm just standing in the grocery store, minding my own business. And God will say, I want you to pay for that person behind you. And, and this is the reaction. Where'd that come from? Lord, was that you? Lord, are you speaking? Was that you or was that me? Did I make that up? Yeah, right. I'd never come up with that on my own. But he's patient with us, isn't he? 
Has he spoken to you again after that time? I, I, want, you to, I want you to pay for their, for their groceries. Oh Lord, if you would, would you just show me that it's you? Show me that it's you. I pray that you'll have them stand on one foot and do the hokey pokey. And if you do that, Lord, I'll know it's you. And Has he been patient with you? Has he been kind to you? Has God shown his kindness toward you in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you? And this is most often so easily found in the way that God deals with our sin. I don't know about you, but I've had those things that have sat in my life for you know, days, right? We, weeks, maybe months, okay, no years. They've sat in my life for years and I've struggled getting rid of them. Has God been patient with you? Has he been kind to you in spite of those things? Has he patiently loved you and still given his presence to you all the time wooing you to step away from that sin, that thing, and step toward his loving kindness? Why, because God has, God has been good to us. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And this idea that God is kind with us becomes a model for how we deal with one another. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, and man, Jesus just gets the meddling. I'm just gonna be real with you. Because he starts off and he says, he says, um, a new command I give you, love one another. I mean, that part's not too bad. Because if he had left it there, then I could have been like, oh, I love you, man, and love means a hug, and I love you, and I love you, and I love everybody. But then he goes to meddling. And he says, as I have loved you, so you must love another, one another. Wait, the, the same Jesus who crawled up on a cross willingly when he could have called 10,000 angels to die for our sins said, as I have loved you, you must love for one another. So when someone sins against us, that means I have to respond when, oh, oh, no, Pastor Kent. <laughs> you talking about when they talk bad about me? I got to forgive them. I gotta be willing to lay down my life for them. Oh, and Jesus went a step further. This is where it really gets annoying and irritating. Oh, if, if your feet aren't hurting now, pick them up because it's going to. He, he, he went a step further. See, he wrapped a towel around his waist when he was alive. He didn't just say, I'll die for you. It may be easy to say, oh yeah, I'll die for you. I'll catch a bullet for you. Nobody's ever gonna shoot at you, so I'll do it. <laughs> But it's not easy to say, I will serve you, and that's what Jesus did. He wrapped a towel around his waist and crawled up on his knees and then washed his disciples' feet that were crusted with animal dung. And here's the most interesting thing about it. He didn't just wash the good disciples' feet. He washed Judas' feet too. That, you know, I, we go through and we read these Bible verses and these stories and we don't think about them sometimes. And, and I'm guilty of that. When that revelation and realization hit me, boy, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Jesus washed Judas's feet and served him. And this is the model, this is the pattern. See, God's character is good. Therefore, the way that God deals with us is good. Therefore, the way that we deal with each other should be good. And I'm not talking about good like, oh, that was a good message, Pastor Ken. Or that was a good movie. I'm talking about the good that describes the goodness of God. As Christians, we're expected to deal with each other using our new nature and the new fruit that comes from it so that we deal with each other the way that God and Jesus has dealt with us. So Peter comes to Jesus and he's, he's thinking, oh man, 
I think I got this thing. I think I got this thing down. So Jesus, book of Matthew, things chapter 18. Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Wait, 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 Jesus, I got this. I got this. See, John over there, he forgave his brother three times. Here's what I'm going to say. Seven. Because Jesus, if I do it seven, I'm going to be good, right? Because John only forgave three times. I'm telling on him. And Jesus looks back at him and he says, up to 77 times. Now, some translations say 70 times seven, but here's the reality of what Jesus was communicating there. Jesus was saying, go to the place where you don't feel like you can forgive anymore and keep forgiving. And then he tells this story. So he goes to meddling even more. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000, 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 bags of gold. Let's just be real. I ain't seen one bag of gold. I would like to have one bag of gold. One bag of gold would make us a very rich man, right? 10,000 bags of gold. The idea there is it's a debt that could not be repaid in a lifetime. 10,000 bags of gold is what this man, uh, and just in case, um, I, I'll be the narrator, um, we are that man. That's, that's me and you. All right, uh, owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, the idea here that the servant's giving is he's saying, give me more time. Notice what he's not asking. He's not asking for forgiveness. He's asking, give me more time and I will repay you. But the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. All right, you and I are the ones that owe 10,000 bags of gold. We are the ones that owe this debt that we could never repay. But Jesus came and gave up his life, laid it down for you and I so that the master God Almighty could cancel your debt and say you owe nothing anymore. Nothing. This is the goodness of God. This is the kindness of God. This is the patience of God. But what does a servant do? Next slide. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Now, just to let you know, just so we can do the comparison here, we've got 10,000 bags of gold. I'm saying a lot of obvious stuff this morning, I'm sorry. 10,000 bags of gold, 100 silver coins. The 10,000 bags of gold is probably worth a lot more. He goes out and finds a servant who owes a hundred coins. A hundred coins. Pay back what you owe me, he demands. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Now, is this the man or the mark of a man who doesn't really even understand that he's been forgiven because what he asked for and what he assumes is simply an extension on his debt. And so he doesn't even realize that he's actually been forgiven the entire debt and is going out and trying to collect so that he can try to pay what he no longer owes. But he refused, instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed him. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. All right, this is where it gets really heavy. Because are we forgiving in the way that Christ forgave us? Or am I that wicked servant up there? 
that wicked servant who knowing that I've been forgiven from a debt that I could not repay, we hold unforgiveness against our spouse because they said something or they did something that hurt us. We hold unforgiveness against a parent because they did something or said something against us. We hold unforgiveness against a teacher. We hold unforgiveness against a former boss. We hold unforgiveness against somebody right across this sanctuary because of what they said or what they did. Oh, pastor, you don't know. You don't know what they said about me. You don't know what they did. You don't know how, how can I forgive them? Well, listen, I'm telling you, if we realize the forgiveness that Christ had for us, how can we not? How can we not? Jesus is calling us to this place where we're not holding people under a debt that we ought not hold them because he's forgiven our debt. And real Christianity, real faith will reveal itself in our right behavior. And yeah, I know that's heavy. But how we act matters. You know, you, you are the only Bible that some of the people that you're surrounded by will read in their entire life. Your behavior matters. And we become so enamored with the gifts of the Spirit that oftentimes we lose the fruit. You know, tongues without temperament is toxic. We, we lose sight of the fruit that God is telling us we have to cultivate, we have to abide in him so that it can come out of us and how we deal with each other matters. We should be loving people as Christ loved us, demonstrating God's nature. And Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their mouth but not their actions or behaviors are destructive to the church. And that's not how we're gonna be here at Arise. So there, there are two ways this morning to really communicate God's goodness to those around us, and one of them is patience. That we need to demonstrate God's goodness by being patience. Now, I'm, I don't know about you, but I, I've heard this all my life. Don't pray for patience. Y'all ever heard that? As if patience is gonna hurt me. In fact, oftentimes we treat it like we're the vampires and patience is the light. Scripture tells us, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, for the trying of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be, be complete and lacking nothing. Count it all joy. Don't run from it, don't hiss at it, count it joy. Patience is not something to be avoided, it's something to be counting as joyful. But here's our reaction, it's just like Margaret Thatcher's reaction often. It's I am extraordinarily patient, provided I get my own end in the end. <laughs> in fact, our patience is getting shorter and shorter because we are a microwave society. But our patience with people should point to our relationship with God. This is not acquired through a TED talk. I don't, I don't get this by reading a book on patience or going to some breathing, learning breathing techniques. And I know all the moms in the house, you are very patient, you learned your lamas, but breathing techniques won't make you patient. <laughs> this is all about abiding in him. Because as we abide in him, the fruit begins to come out of us. So let me ask a question. Who can you better be patient with? Who this week needs to see your patience? Because here's the thing, if we read scripture and we don't use it as a mirror to allow God to work in us, what good is it? Who needs to see your patience? And let's be real, some people test your patience. It's a test. That person in line with more than 20 items in the 10 item or less line? They test your patience. Who gets on your nerves? Your in-laws, your boss, 
Your spouse? No. Thank you, baby. (laughs) But here's the thing. God has been really patient with me. God has been really patient with me. And some some of us would say, or we used to say, you're testing our patience. Well, let's be real. I've been testing God's patience for a long time. But our impatience is all about me. It's about my selfish attitude. If I will put others first, I will have plenty of patience. We also demonstrate God's goodness by being kind to one another. By being kind to one another. Let's just say this real. There should be no such thing as an unkind Christian. That is an oxymoron like jumbo shrimp. That's an oxymoron. That ought not happen. You know, things like virtual reality or good grief or military intelligence, sorry. I'm just reading the, I'm just reading the limits, the lines here. Genuine imitation or butthead. A mean Christian should be an oxymoron just like that. It doesn't fit. But yet, there are moments where we've had this mean girl attitude in Christianity and we start fights over all kinds of different things. Let me tell you, we can disagree, but if you don't disagree in kindness, then we need to check our fruit. We need to check our fruit. Because our fruit should demonstrate who Christ is. And there are too many sandpaper Christians. We're too full of them. There are too many angry ladies who look like they've been eating lemon all week long. (laughs) I know that none of y'all here at Arise look like that, but I mean, we've all seen them. They don't just look angry. They are angry. But that ought not be us. And it can't just be in here that we're kind. It, It has to go out there. Don't come in here and raise a hallelujah and go out there and raise hell. Some of us demonstrate Jesus in here and demonstrate jerk out there. We can't do that. It's kindness that should be coming out of us. You should be the boss that people wish they had. You should be the employee that people wish they had. Wouldn't it be nice for you to be the the customer that waitress wishes she had or to be that, that customer that that checkout person wishes they had? That is our role to demonstrate the kindness of Christ. See, patience, kindness, goodness, these are attractional fruits. They're things that people are attracted to. It helps them see the goodness of God. And let's let's be real, kindness is contagious. We all have heard the stories about that Starbucks person, that person at Starbucks who paid for the person behind them. All of a sudden, 40 cars later, they've all been paying for the car behind them, no matter what the order is. Why? Because kindness is contagious. I've always wondered though, what is it like to be the last person? (laughs) What causes them to be the last person? Hopefully it's because there is no car behind them and no orders. But I fear sometimes it's because of our selfishness that we take without giving. We've gotta have the fruit of the Spirit today. We have to embody the message that we proclaim. Our talk has to to embody our walk. We've gotta be the Jesus that people see. Come on, stand up with me around the room. I said this at the beginning, I'll say it again. Goodness is demonstrated by the way that God treats you and I. But goodness is also demonstrated by the way that we treat each other. We are expected to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God's nature. And I wanna make it very clear this morning that your fruit comes from where you abide. Where you plant your roots, your time, your talent, your energy, where you plant your roots, that is where or what you will produce your fruit out of. 
what is causing you to produce fruit. Here's the a, here's a thing. I've realized a couple of things as I've gotten older, you know, there's, there's a couple of things that have been annoying, well, a lot of things, you know, but um, one of the things that's been really annoying is I've noticed that certain behaviors that, that I have had that I, I, I've seen before. You know, um, there'll be certain body languages, certain expressions, that I'll do that and you know, one of the worst things you can do as a preacher is watch yourself back on video because you do that and you're like, ah! <laughs> and some of those things, I'm like, oh, I've seen that before. That was my dad. And there are some of those things that brings back a really bad memory because it may have been in a place where I got in trouble because I wasn't perfect, you know? Or some of those things may bring back a memory of a place where my dad wasn't perfect. There's moments when I stand and I look in the mirror and I'll make an expression or a face and oh my goodness, that looks just like my dad. Well, let me ask a question. Do people see your heavenly father in you? because really this ought to be our goal. That I've spent so much time with my heavenly father that without even thinking about it, I will make faces, there will be expressions, there will be things that I do that look just like him without even thinking about it. This is what the fruit of the spirit is. It's when you've spent so much time with the father that his goodness just comes out of you. For some of you this morning, you may say, Pastor Ken, you know, you've been talking about being in with God and being uh, abiding in him in relationship with him. And, but you also asked this question earlier about being good. And man, I wanna be good. I've tried to be good and I, I've just messed it up and I'm not good enough. And I've discovered that, but you're telling me that if I'm, if I abide in Christ, if I'm in Christ, I can be good, that he can make me good. And, and yes, I am telling you that because this morning is your opportunity. This morning is your opportunity to make a decision to follow him that will change the rest of your life because when you do that, he will make you good. He will give you a new, he will make you a new creation, give you a new nature. It's what he wants to do. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing? If you were moved by this message, we would love to hear your testimony. Please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged and inspired. We'll see you next time.